Hey, this is Dr. Patty Sadala. Welcome to my Experience Jesus podcast. In this how-to and identity episode, we will dive into the concept of your Christ identity. This is the person that God created you to be before the foundations of the earth were laid. It is your Christ-perfected identity because you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought or said out loud, if they knew the real me, that is the me that I hide behind closed doors, they wouldn't love me, hire me, want to help me? That is the enemy's picture of you, but it is not what God created you to be. The truth is that who you are is not a product of all your mistakes, your failures, or your flaws. Who is the real you? That's what we're going to be exploring in this episode. Most people associate the word saved specifically related to hell and damnation. The idea being that salvation is related to your eternal destination, heaven or hell. This is certainly part of what salvation means, but there is so much more to that truth of salvation. What I think we're really being saved from is ourselves, our selfish sin nature selves. The word sozo is the word to save. In the original Bible transcripts, it means to rescue, deliver from danger, heal, to restore, to make well. The word sote, which comes from the root word of sozo, refers to the deliverer, properly the one who brings salvation and makes us whole, healed, and delivered. This is also the word for Christos, or Christ. The most important lesson here is that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life now. That means you are healed, delivered, and restored now. You don't have to wait until you're in heaven to experience your salvation. This is the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is your positioning in Christ. That means that once you're saved, you are a child of God and have the fingerprints of your inheritance now and in heaven. This is a one-time deal. It's like you have the ticket to the right train, and you're at the right train station. Many think that this ticket gets redeemed when you die. They imagine meeting St. Peter at the gates of heaven, and then they hand him their ticket. He lets them in. They live their entire lives thinking that they are wretched sinners and that they simply need to wait out this life to get their heavenly reward because they said yes. But that is not the truth of what's available for you now at salvation. Sanctification is a daily working out of what salvation actually means. It is a walking out the truths of what you have right now. Eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. There is no need for you to be as though you don't have the ticket already. Sanctification entails a daily process of confession, repentance, seeking God's face, asking for a fresh falling of the Holy Spirit to continually guide you and move you along the journey of maturing as a Christian one day at a time. God created you completely uniquely, with your own interests, aptitudes, and life journey. 
Your interests are clues from your life about what you love, and God highlights people or areas for you to see and focus on. Your interests include not only the things that you enjoy, but the people that the Lord have put on your heart to care about. It's the why, the what, and the who of your calling. The why is your motivation. The what is the areas that move you to compassion. And the who is the population or burden that God puts on your heart that wants to help. Remember, your motivation must be selfless to be part of God's kingdom calling plan. This is not only about interests that benefit you. Those interests are about blessing others. There are 21 verses that say that Jesus was moved by compassion to heal or feed the people or do other ministry things. He showed us perfectly how to serve based on the kingdom emotion of compassion. He causes your heart to break for those his heart is breaking for that he connected you to uniquely care about. This becomes your personal motivation. Your aptitudes are things that you're not just good at, you're great at. This describes the how of your calling, the skills, the talents, and the giftings that God created uniquely for you. God wired you with those natural abilities so that you could use them in serving in his kingdom plan. Romans 12, 6-8 says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them accordingly. If someone has a gift of prophecy, let him speak a new language, a message from God to his people, in proportion to the faith possessed. If service in the act of serving, or he who teaches in the act of teaching, he who encourages in the act of encouragement, he who gives, give generously, he who leads, do so with diligence, he who shows mercy in caring for others, do so with cheerfulness. Next, God adds his provision. God elevates you and opens the floodgate of his provision to support you because you are in alignment with his will. God opens doors, makes divine connections, provides provision of money and other needed resources to support the assignments he's giving you. God always equips what he calls. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, Now may the God of peace the source of serenity and spiritual well-being, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood that sealed and ratified the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing to carry out his will and strengthen you, making you complete and perfect as you ought to be, accomplishing in us which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love that this verse references the great shepherd, because that also implies that all the guidance, care, and protection that you will ever need in your life journey or fulfilling or calling is yours. Let's talk about what a calling actually is. The word playeru, it means to be fulfilled. Full, fullness, and fulfillment. 
It stands for the results of the action expressed. It is used to signify that which has been completed in fullness. In other words, to find yourself is to find your true Christ identity. To become who God created you to become is the definition of fulfillment. Let's talk now about what was purchased for you by Jesus on the cross, by his resurrection, so that you may understand the capability that you have as a new covenant believer. Salvation brings many levels of new into your life. You have a new life, a new relationship with God, a new identity, and new capability. Let's dive into each one. You have a new life, which is a new wineskin. Jesus conquered sin and death, so we can have eternal life now and are free from the bondages of sin, sickness, and the limitations of this world. See Mark 16, 16 and 17, and 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Your old self, that is your sin nature, was crucified on the cross with Jesus. Jesus didn't just die for you, he died as you. Our sin nature was brought into this world by Adam and Eve's sin, but it was taken away by the finished work on the cross. Because you have accepted Jesus, you have eternal life now and in heaven. You are free from the bondage of this world. You no longer have to accept illness or struggles as insurmountable challenges in your life. We've already learned that part of the definition of salvation or sozo includes healing. God's healing includes physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual issues. Your eternal life begins at the moment you accept Christ, so you do not need to wait to heaven to receive it. In fact, your heavenly accommodations will depend on how much you access the truth of your salvation and live it out while still on earth. Walking in alignment with the Lord, living out your freedom, healing, and victory, bearing much fruit for the kingdom, will prove advantageous in your heavenly eternity. It doesn't just bless you while you're on earth. It will bless you in heaven. I asked the Lord to shed some light on the subject for me one day, and I asked him to explain about the verse of the parable of the new wine and wineskins in Mark 2.22. No one puts new wine in old wineskins. Otherwise, the fermenting wine will expand and burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the wineskin. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Jesus said, The inside of an ancient wineskin cannot be seen. Wine leaves behind fermented residue as wine ages. You know how wine, after it's been in the bottle, has been open for a few days, begins to ferment and turn sour many days after it's been opened. This is because it's beginning to break down and rot. New wine poured into an old wineskin that has old rotting cells in it makes the new wine rotten. Molecules expand and burst the old wineskin. The new wineskin represents the new man, cured, new, untainted. The new wine is the truth of my presence, my grace that comes with salvation. 
It represents the Holy Spirit in fullness in your heart. When the believer agrees with me that they are new and really understand the truth of what was accomplished for them on the cross, this person is free to live without the barriers and hindrances of the old sin nature. They become new because their heart is a new wineskin. The second thing that was accomplished is a new relationship, direct access to the Father. Before salvation, you and God were separate entities. You could always hear God because the eyes and the ears of your heart are given to everybody, whether they choose Jesus or not. He was always there watching over you because of his omnipresence. You and God were separated, though, by the original sin committed by Adam and Eve. Jesus' finished work on the cross covers us with his perfection, which gains you direct access to the Father. You can come right into his presence and connect with his very mind, will, and emotion by using the eyes and ears of your heart. This is something we do on Experience Jesus podcast every single time. At the moment that Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake and the veil covering the door of the Holy and Holies was ripped from top to bottom. Matthew 27, 50 and 51. So when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. And at that moment, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The size and thickness of the veil ensured that no one would accidentally fall into the Holy of Holies. The veil was 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, and about an inch thick. It was so massive and heavy, it took 300 priests to manipulate it. So there's no way that someone could inadvertently trip or stumble or fall into the Holy of Holies and subsequently die as a result. The curtain was torn at the exact moment of Jesus' death because our separation from God by our sins had been paid for by Jesus on the cross. Notice that the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom, indicating that it was torn from the top by God himself. No human could possibly tear that veil by human strength. Now we can go behind the curtain and have access to God himself in the Holy of Holies. Jesus's sinless life, death, and resurrection is what allowed that access to God to be accomplished. Now we have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus. See Hebrews 10.19. This is so important. I really want you to understand this. Jesus died and was resurrected not just to gain us access into heaven and wash away our sins, but to give us direct access to God. He paid the price so that we could come into the very presence of God and have an intimate, abiding relationship with Him. The divine transaction that was made at the cross allows us to go into the presence of God and commune with Him at any time we want. That's incredible. It's an incredible miracle and an incredible privilege we don't want to not take advantage of. So, the Father looks at you through the perfection of Jesus, and that's why you can come into his presence. 
The thing that's very important for you to understand, though, is that the enemy sees you the way you see you. And any vulnerable, negative thought that you have, the enemy can mess with you about. And if you don't know that that stuff's not true about you, you just allow the enemy to have a stronghold in your life. So part of the secret here is to really figure out what does God say is true about me and agree with that. Because once you begin to agree with how the Lord sees you, the enemy sees it on you. And that's huge. The enemy sees Jesus too. The enemy doesn't want to mess with him. So what is the process of moving from the self-you to the Christ-you? The dictionary defines pruning as to trim by cutting away dead or overgrown branches or stems, especially to encourage growth. And this definition can be applied to your Christian life. For you to grow spiritually, you need to become purposeful and remain in a healthy relationship with Christ so that he can begin cutting away all the things that are self and replace them with all things that are God. His true nature, character, mind, will, and emotions can guide your life and transform you to be more Christ-like. John 15.5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For otherwise, apart from me, that is cut off from the vital union with me, you can do nothing. Pruning is the shedding of all of your baggage. It is a process of surrendering one issue that hinders at a time to God for his sanctification, for his purification. As I discussed in the Good Shepherd, How to Follow the Good Shepherd episode, you can willingly choose to lay down in green pastures by allowing the Lord to have more aspects of your heart and life, or he can make you lie down in green pastures by getting your attention and causing you to drop to your knees and recognize your need for him and surrender that area or issue in your life. For example, God actually made me lie down in green pastures when I got my Lyme's disease diagnosis. He caused me to stop and focus on him and seek him, and then he gave me a miraculous healing. There are other areas of my life that I willingly just had a heart's desire to lay down to the Lord so that I could just honestly serve him with more purity so it can happen both ways. One observation I have made in my own life and also by some of the students um, that I work with or counseling clients is that the timing of surrendering an issue is often when the pain or discomfort of not addressing that issue with the Lord becomes greater than your fear of change or the pain of the present situation. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments and obey my teaching, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So he tells us that the one who remains in him will bear much fruit. To remain is to abide in Christ. The word abide is omeno, which means to stay, wait, live continuously, remain, or stand. 
It is a continuous heart posture of wanting to be in God's presence and obeying his voice. The Lord is showing us that obeying is another way to abide. So those who will be soaking in God's presence, which is his love, will hear and obey his promptings more naturally. The Lord will trust them to release his power through them, and they will remain humble enough to give God the glory that leads to ever-increasing levels of holy boldness and fruit-bearing. The one who would abide will begin to reflect the Lord's nature and character in Galatians 5.22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, the result of his presence within us, is love, unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience, not the ability to wait, but how we act while we're waiting, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The really cool thing is that as you transform yourself into God's ideal version of yourself, you begin to allow your motivations, character traits, and attitudes to go by the wayside in favor of God's. You begin to look like Him. God's motivations are love, joy, and peace, we learn from the Galatians verse. God's character traits are faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And God's attitudes are goodness, kindness, and patience. So as you begin to become the real you, you start to look like that, only in a best version of you. The goal of your Christian life is to, one day at a time, begin to reflect your Christ you. That is the nearly perfect, you can never be perfect because we're on this side of heaven, the nearly perfect Christ version of you. It's the unified Christ with the uniqueness of you. And it is how the Father sees you already because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It is your true biblical identity the one you need to become in order to live out the Jeremiah 29:11 plans God has for you to give you a hope and a future. In order to do that, it's incredibly important for you to understand partnership and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. It seems kind of silly to have to say this, but God is God and you are not. God is omnipresent, omnibenevolent, omnipotent, and omniscient. He lives outside of time and space. Therefore, he knows everything, including what's going to happen in your life. Yet so many people trust in themselves, the world, or others more easily than they can trust God. And he is right there, ready to give you all the guidance that you need to be able to live out this life. I asked the Lord what he had to say about that. And he said, It's amazing to me that people struggle with trusting and surrendering things to me. And I must constantly remind them to allow me to help them. I'm not a puppet master pulling strings to cause you to make certain decisions. I have just seen those decisions made already and I know what will happen. I know the dangers that are before you, and I know the blessings that I have promised for you. I can warn you of dangers when you cooperate me with the blessings 
that are incomprehensible. My ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and I am available for you to seek my face on any matter at any time. I'm also a gentleman and do not force myself or my opinions or my will on anyone, but I am quick to share my mind, will, and emotion with you whenever you ask or seek me for it. And I actually encourage you to do that in the scriptures. I remember the Lord sharing with me that the Father did not need us to do his job, which was to impart his perfect will. The Son did not need us to do his job, which is to sacrifice himself for us as a perfect offering and to show us the way of the Father by his life and love and example. But the Holy Spirit requires your cooperation in order to do his job of guiding you day by day and empowering you in service to the kingdom. Romans 12, 1-3 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourself set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself and his importance and ability than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has a portion to each, a degree of faith, and a purpose designed for service. We are partakers of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4 says, For by these he has bestowed on us his precious and magnificent promises of inexpressible value, that by them you may escape from the immoral freedom that is in the world because of disreputable desire and become sharers of the divine nature. If you are saved, you are a child of God, which gives you the right and privilege to partner and cooperate with God. John 14.21 says, The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and will I love him and reveal myself to him. I will make myself real to him. And Romans 8, 14 and 15 says, For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading you again to fear of God's judgment, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, the spirit producing sonship by which you cry joyfully, Abba, Father. Did you catch in that verse that you must allow yourself to be led by the spirit of God to be considered a son or daughter of God? This heart posture of surrender is required to be able to partner and cooperate with God. We have no idea what the spirit of adoption fully buys for us as children of God. Part of the challenges that we 
don't have the capability of understanding all that it means to be a child of God because it's beyond our human understanding. But one thing it earns us is citizenship in heaven. Paul clarifies this in Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven. God has called us to live in this world, but not of this world. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us and has drawn us to himself from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. God has called us out of this world and transferred us into his kingdom. Having our citizenship in the kingdom of God makes us ambassadors for Christ, and we represent our heavenly Father in this world. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, So we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God himself were making an appeal through us. We, as Christ's representatives, plead with you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God and to reflect him as your ideal Christ identity. Following God is an important key to cooperating and partnering with him. So I asked Jesus to tell us how he wants us to follow him. And this is what he said. To follow me may seem like living in opposite world, but my scriptures clearly show you the way. Love is an act of obedience. It's a deliberate decision to follow my lead and not get in your own way. It is always for your absolute best. It is a process of peeling back the onion layers of you, all that gets in your way. Begin by letting go of the easy things first, like something that you know is out of your depth. And then with more time with me, you'll move along to areas of surrendering deeper things. And the more you trust me, you will even begin to surrender familiar things. That means things that you think you don't need me for. Following me means being willing to look differently than the world. Standing up for righteousness in an unrighteous culture can be hard and takes courage. Humility is like a light that casts out your pride and sets you free from its shackles. I cannot come near pride. When you behave in prideful ways, you remove yourself from my protective umbrella. Living apart from me is bondage. Freedom can only be found under my perfect care. When you learn how to surrender to my will by letting go of your own, there is room for simply hearing and allowing me to direct your paths more closely. When you choose otherwise, it creates a static, and it's difficult for you to hear or see me clearly. Stop asking why when things are challenging for you and begin asking, who is my God? Learning how to cooperate with my will aligns you with my plans for you and leads you to the satisfaction and fulfillment and fruit bearing that I have designed for you. Ask yourself this question, whose will am I following here? Is it mine or God's? Adjust your path accordingly. Remember that my will is always for your best interest. I am the author of your story, so follow me, and I will lead you to the abundant life and the real you. Before we dive into our encounter today, I wanted to take a moment to ask you for a blessing. If you have learned some new things and have drawn closer to God by this podcast, 
Please pray for the Lord to multiply it and allow the Lord to pop a few names into your spirit for whom you could share this podcast with. Simply text or email them the link to the pattyej.podbean.com site and let them know why you've been blessed by it. And please check out my books, journals, and downloadable resources at pattysadala.com shop. And remember the code EJPOD to receive 10% off everything, even the stuff already on sale. And remember, they make great gifts too. Thank you for blessing me by your prayers and for being a listener to this podcast. If this is your first podcast experience with us, you may want to go back to the trailer episode and learn about the biblical foundation for dialogue journaling, our process for experiencing Jesus. This leads you through the first special place encounter with Jesus as a child. This is a starting point for all of our experiences with Jesus. For best results, it is always good to properly posture your heart for your experience by welcoming Jesus' presence with praise and thanksgiving and playing with him in a special place as a child for a few minutes before asking for anything from him. After you've played with the Lord for a while in your special place, ask Jesus to give you a glimpse of the you that he created you to be, the fully surrendered you living out of your true Christ identity. Pay attention to the changes you see in your attitudes, motivations, character, and actions. Pay attention to what you're doing, who you're doing it for. Make sure you see Jesus doing it with you. And then after receiving that glimpse, Ask the Lord what step he wants you to take to become that ideal version of you. Take all the time you need and record it all in your journal. I hope you were inspired by the picture of yourself the Lord just gave you and can work toward that person every single day. Spending time with the Lord as you do in these Experience Jesus encounters will definitely help move you in that direction. And I hope you will join us on this podcast adventure. Follow this podcast and forward it to others that you think may be blessed by it. And check out all the links below. They are designed to take you deeper. I thank God for you and bless you in Jesus' name.